The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of MedPEP or Physician Health Services. The advice given to Marie Curious has been individualized and may not apply to the listener. While Marie Curious is a real person describing both real and hypothetical events and situations, she is using a pseudonym for this series. Welcome to MedPEP, the Medical Professionals Empowerment Program. I'm Dr. Les Schwab, the host of MedPEP. I'm a practicing internist, an experienced healthcare leader, and a trained professional coach. I help medical leaders, physicians, and other health professionals develop strategies and plans for managing workplace complexity in today's stressful and depleting healthcare environment. I'm here to serve as the guide of Dr. Marie Curious, an early career primary care internist with a large and demanding practice here in Massachusetts. Marie is determined not only to survive, but to thrive at a time when professional burnout is rampant throughout the healthcare system. In each MedPEP episode, I facilitate a conversation between Marie and an expert with knowledge and skills to help her optimize and humanize her experience practicing medicine. Today's expert is Dr. Eddie Phillips, who is going to speak to us today about lifestyle medicine. But before we jump right in, I'd like Marie to say a few words about what has transpired since we last met. Marie, good to see you again. And as you recall, I asked you to observe things that are happening in your everyday practice life that give you energy and things that deplete you. Have you got anything to share with us today? Les, I'm glad to be back. And there are a few things to share. Something that I'm not, I, I'm trying not to read into it, but the life draining things seem to pop out okay. uh, with ease, unfortunately, as the day goes on. Uh, just to name a few today in my clinic practice, difficulty negotiating prescriptions with patients, whether it be coming up with a plan to titrate down on opioids versus convincing patients to take their antihypertensives and that it does have a real impact. Or how about compliance with diabetes medications? The administrative back and forth with medical secretaries, patients calling in, sending in messages. In this day and age of the messaging culture, even I, as a, I would say, young physician starting out, I'm having a difficult time responding to the influx of messaging, where, you know, when I started training 10 years ago, it was a much more formal relationship between doctor and patient. And then lastly, something that came up today, if I may share, you know, the constant juggling of seeing patients, managing in-basket, fielding phone calls, answering questions from my nurse practitioner. And in the middle of it today, Les, I was going in between two patients and I see a fax on my desk uh, to fill out urgently a death certificate. And this patient was just discharged from the hospital. I was not anticipating this passing and it just really shook me because I had to gather myself and go in to see my next patient. Oh, sounds really tough. and the kind of experience that's all too common. The shifting between various kinds of tasks, very depleting in terms of cognitive energies and this last incident, in particular, emotional energy, like how can you spend time to honor your relationship with the patient, the shock of what happened, and then just quickly move on to the formality of the death certificate and the next patient. That's really hard to assimilate. So understand completely that this would be a draining set of circumstances. But let me ask you a question. You said it was depleting, and I think maybe even zapping, 
And I wondered if you noticed how you actually felt physically when you get zapped. What happens? Oh, that's a good question. Physically, drained. Drained. Just drained. I mean, I, there's no better way to describe that. Okay. Well, recharging, replenishing you so that you're not so drained would be a wonderful thing. And with that, I'm really eager to listen in on your conversation with Dr. Phillips. Welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Eddie Phillips. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about yourself and the work that you do improving the lot of us physicians and other health professionals? Sure, Marie. Um, so let me start off explaining that um, I, when I went to medical school, I really thought I was going to learn about health. <laughs> And as I like to say, I just never read the brochure and I just waited patiently for when am I going to learn about exercise, when am mm -hmm. I going to learn about diet, when am I going to learn about how to take care of myself, because stress is really important. And where I went to medical school, it was actually an experiential course, meaning that we went through the stress and those that survived <laughs> got their MDs and, and moved on. And uh, several years ago, going on now 15 years ago, I thought, well, there's a lot of stuff I just didn't learn in medical school. And I want to sort of retrofit the doctors, and now it's all healthcare professionals. Like, what did we not learn? And it turns out that we need to know a lot about diet, about exercise, about self-care, smoking cessation, mm -hmm. to take care of our patients because the majority of disease and the premature deaths that we see, and actually healthcare costs, are at their root cause the result of our patients eating too much of the wrong things, not getting enough physical activity, not managing their stress or being resilient to it, um, smoking, uh, and then if you drink too much alcohol, and those activities take care of it all. As we started to develop the programs, what we learned really quickly was that how the doctors take care of themselves may be the linchpin to all of this. And along with that comes a whole new generation, of, perhaps it's been going on for a long time, but a whole new generation of doctors that are just getting burnt out. Yeah. And part of what this lifestyle medicine has become is an opportunity for folks like yourself, and I've been listening into your conversations with Les, to actually start with you as patient zero. And to say, for right now, let's set your patients aside. And let's talk about what you can do for yourself physically to make yourself feel better. And I can give you the literature that says that if you improve your behaviors, your health behaviors, it will actually improve your patients. Mm. But leave them outside for right now and just consider what would it take for you to not be so depleted at work, mm -hmm. to actually be exhibiting or trying new behaviors and bringing your patients along with you and making practice joyful. Well, a few things that just jump right out is first, as you know, Eddie, if I may. Please. Um, doctors are the worst patients, starting with patient zero. We don't want to think <laughs> about ourselves. We don't want to focus on our own health. We're about the other. We're about treating the patient. So I don't think we're the worst patients, but, <laughs> but there is a culture of setting aside and of being caregivers. And uh, so I would engender you to consider yourself as maybe patient number one then <laughs> to actually say that it, it's actually going to make a difference. And it's going to make a difference yeah. to your young children and to your family if you take the time to exhibit or try these behaviors. I mean, in essence, practice what you preach, yes? I, th these are things that we're telling our patients to do every day, but like you said, I just wanted to point out this lack of connection between the model that we learn in medical school, mm -hmm. which is based on 
diagnosing something that's mm -hmm. wrong and then treating it rather than preventative medicine or thinking about lifestyle and all the aspects that create a healthy person to begin with. And so as I'm practicing now, I find myself more easily being able to do classically the workup, the differential diagnosis, ordering the right test, making the diagnosis, giving the treatment, rather than giving really good, thoughtful, sound advice about how to live a healthy life. So Marie, you're spot on because the transformation that is happening and needs to happen is to the medical system as well as to the individual doctors and their practices and their communities. So for instance, right now we're at the place where you are getting paid to see patients as rapidly as you can. Mm -hmm. You're billing for the sick care that we're also well trained to deliver. But what we need to do is to move on to taking care and, and promoting health behaviors and using them actually even as treatment. And along the way, doing it for yourself. And what's interesting, just in terms of the stress that you're feeling taking care of your patients, when you're in a sort of a coaching experience with your patients, and you don't have to become a coach, but just have to engender sort of the joint patient-centered reality that, that we have now, that it's about the patient's behaviors and you're gonna help them change, you should feel like you're dancing with your patient rather than wrestling them into submission. Ah, uh, yes. And it's a lot less stressful. Yeah. And you tend not to get hurt as much dancing as you do wrestling. <laughs> so that's, that's sort of you know, what I try to do with my patients and what we try to teach people to do. I think that's fantastic. You know, just thinking about the three or four most common things that I'm addressing, visit after visit, patient after patient, diet, exercise, eating well, you know, good habits, the smoking, the drinking, um, and now, especially in Massachusetts, marijuana use. So in all of these things, I feel that there is an element where I'm just sort of going with the flow and I'm trying to give practical advice mm -hmm. based on what the patient is telling me. For example, you know, how do how does a busy person incorporate exercise into their life? Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I tell them, I listen, well, you know, what floor do you live on? I live on the sixth floor of an apartment building. And I tell them, well, try walking up the stairs. Mm -hmm. But Eddie, I'm making this stuff up. Mm -hmm. Help help me do a better job. Well how about you? <laughs> You're a busy person with young children and a practice. What's it? What does it mean to you? How? So I practice on the second floor. I walk up the stairs. Great. I incorporated a standing desk, but I have to be frank, Eddie. I'm sitting much of the time. Sure. Because I just feel exhausted from seeing patients. So I sit when I'm doing my computer work, which mm -hmm. is a lot. Mm -hmm. When I go home, you know, I tell my patients try to get cardiovascular exercises, get your heart rate up. Go walking, walk your pets, you know, go bicycling, enjoy the weather in Boston when it's so short for at least 30 minutes, three times a week. And guess what? I go home and there's the exercise bike. Oh, I just, I don't have time. I don't have energy. And there goes another day. Mm -hmm. But if yeah. I may say, Eddie, I mm -hmm. do run around trying to play with my two little kids. That's, but I don't know if that counts formally. Well, I mean, it would count as sort of like lifestyle exercise, and every minute <laughs> that you're not sitting is, is to your benefit. Yeah. Uh, however, you know, there's other things to consider. Uh, for instance, even with young children, including them in some sort of exercise. Ah, that's um, a good idea. Yeah. You know, Eddie, I, I find it hard because the last thing you want to do when you get home after a long day of clinic is to do what feels like more work. 
and exercise the way that it is in our culture, whether it's going to the gym, you know, doing these routines. I, I know there are listeners out there who find soul or the cycling phenomenon incredibly invigorating. I, how, how do I find time to bring myself to the gym, join a class, do this day in and day out? I just, so, it sounds like more so work you've, to you've me. picked up on a, a, actually a really important thread in how we promote physical activity, which has been arising over the last few years that we are doing a disservice by talking about the benefits. Right. And actually even calling it a workout. Yes. You don't want to do what we're telling you to do and your patients are going to be the same, but to find the joy. Right. And how well it makes you feel so quickly. Yeah is really what will promote you and, and then you'll find the time. So for instance, uh -huh. the idea that getting outside, hopefully with, with your kids when it's appropriate, and just the joy and, and the, the, the pleasure and the, well there are some health benefits to being outside, that may be enough to get you to be with them. Right. When I have my patients come in, and I'm similar to you trying to get them to exercise more, when I find someone who does exercise, I actually try to learn from them and say, uh -huh. so Marie, like, what drives you to get on the bike? And invariably people start to sort of point at their head and they go, I don't know, it just makes me feel better. Yeah. I yell at the kids less. <laughs> and, and there's this sort of, uh, I mean, and we can talk about the science and the neurotransmitters released when, when you start right. biking, but people seem to know, and maybe you know, that's the feeling that you should be looking for rather yeah. than just another obligation because your kids are trumping the exercise right now. Clearly, right. I mean, you're, you're taking care of them. And, and they're my own models because you look at children and we're reminded in medicine that adult internists, that's what I do, mm -hmm. we're not, little kids are not little adults. They mm -hmm. are their own <laughs> pediatric world, but they don't run around because it gets their heart rate up, it's good cardiovascular exercise. They run around until they're panting and, and falling on the ground because it's fun. Right. How do we get that back into you our lives? You can play. You, you, <laughs> can, you, can, you can actually organize, you can play with them. Yeah, um, exactly. An, another thing in our house as we brought up our three children is we taught them that a timeout was not just a punishment for them. It was actually something that the adults would do like, I'm not in a good way right now. I'm gonna go down to the basement and after I've rode for 10 minutes, we can continue this conversation. <laughs> and it sort of inculcates the idea that you're doing this because you're gonna feel better at the end of the 10 minutes. Right. And so far so good as my kids have grown that they seem to incorporate that into their lives to some degree. And I continue to, to try to do that for myself because it makes me feel better right away. How do you counsel patients and other physicians switching gears just a little bit, but along the same lines about healthy eating. I find that to be a huge challenge in this day and age of instant gratification, um, food everywhere, pre-prepared meals, and I have to be frank, Eddie, I mean, my kids eat a lot of Trader Joe's, it, it, you know, frozen foods, because that's what I have time and energy to prepare when I get home. Once again, when I have a patient who's successful at losing right. weight, and asking them, how did you do it? And very often, it's not a big fancy diet. They actually say, I stopped eating, if I may, crap. Right. And I go, well, how do you know what crap is? Yeah. And they go, no, no, doc, I know what crap is. Food that doesn't make my body feel good. And well, there you're back to the joy and the yes. feeling. And, and people know that. And, and, and to sort of engender this idea that, wow, I can make a choice and I'm gonna have a positive result. 
Mm. And and it's also I you know I'm more focused on exercise with folks. Okay. And I often do not talk about you know it's necessarily for weight loss, but just what food is good. And and as you get more sensitive or sort of mindful, mm -hmm. you know what do you know how foods make you feel? Mm -hmm. It was kind of like Les's question for you a little earlier, like what energizes you? Certain foods can energize you. Yeah. Certain foods can can drain you. Sorry, just to go back to what Les was saying, I didn't want to paint a picture of all doom and gloom and life-draining things okay. that were happening during the workday, Les, is that exactly what Eddie mentioned, one very gratifying part of the day and life-giving aspect of practice is when I see patients actually make successful changes. Yes. And the huge one for our patient population is real sustained weight loss. Mm -hmm. I find that to be phenomenal, actually five or 10 or 25 pounds, uh, you know, that makes a real difference in their management of hypertension, diabetes, whatever it may be. That is incredibly gratifying to me. And it's a big mystery. And Eddie, just like you said, I would ask them, how did you do it? And, and so what's interesting is what you're going through and the joy that you're getting from taking care of patients because you are a caregiver is actually something for you to develop. And you also have to recognize it's a little bit like a slot machine because you're gonna to talk to the next 10, 12, 18 patients, and maybe one or two of them are gonna make some sort of change that uh, makes you feel good. Right. But when you get three lemons in a row and a bunch of quarters come out of the machine, celebrate. Yes. And that will actually sustain you and you'll, you're new in practice. You'll start to develop your own list of stories. Right. And, and what, what you said, something that got this person lit up and got them losing weight and, and more exercising more and being more attentive to their stress levels and you, you'll sort of start to feel your way towards what's gonna help the next one. So maybe the slot machine will get even more successful. <laughs> but it's, it's not, a, it's not a, a, a fix for everyone. There's, there right. is no one fix. And that's actually part of the joy of how you practice lifestyle medicine. Mm. You meet people where they are and you actually go towards what kind of change they're willing to make. And I you know, do the same with you. Like you're, I would not admonish you to not listen to your kids and go run down and get on the bicycle. That's not who you are or what's <laughs> going to work for you. But working out, uh, you know, a walking lunch or a walking meeting or something during, during your day or incorporating exercise with your children, right. all, of, all of those things. And if, and if they want to play, play with them right. and play with them vigorously. Well, definitely. My knees and my back have, you know, plenty to say about getting on the ground to play with them. But honestly, do you know any physicians who eat lunch anymore and actually take a lunch break? I do. Less, I, you're I, one of a kind. <laughs> I walk over across the parking lot and have salad from a salad bar. Oh. So, And it actually is a good time too, to, even if it is only 10 minutes to take the time and actually taste your food and so that's turn it, off your phone and just sort of let the thoughts come to you rather than, you know, you, you need some sort of a break. And it, to me, it's a very natural time to actually separate. And there's so many wonderful rituals around food. It's, right. That is a good time to, I would say to, at least for, for me, to actually take that break during the day. And isn't that something, and that's why Les is the well-seasoned expert physician here because there's not one physician in my group that I know who eats lunch in that way. We all eat at our desk, on the go, not at all, always on the computer. So there's a practice I'm thinking of where the doctor was starting to practice lifestyle medicine, right. an, an internist, and as he transformed not just himself but his practice, yeah. he said that lunch used to be 
uh, allowing the secretary to, to, you know, as he would joke, to type with one hand while they <laughs> ate with the other. Right. And it got to the point where they actually closed the door and the phones oh. for the hour so that his group could meet together yeah. and actually have some community as well. Right. And which is lovely and, and makes them more joyous about coming to work because community and the social side is so important. And then he sometimes would join them. Right. And, and that's, he lives with them. That's his people. So how much work do you actually lose doing that? Mm -hmm. I, I would argue maybe less would support this, that you might be more productive after a mindful lunch. I, I, I would agree that mm -hmm. uh, the investment in the change behavior will pay dividends. Mm -hmm. But you have to choose the investment. Right. That makes sense to you. So I had, a, I had a related question, which is, you know, we physicians are highly perfectionistic and competitive and goal-driven, at least cognitively goal-driven, if not in action. And we think, well, I've got to lose my 30 pounds or I've got to just get to bed on time or I've got to exercise that minimum 150 minutes of aerobic activity a week. And I'm wondering if you have suggestions about how to begin so that one succeeds as opposed to setting a goal that may mm. be correct but cannot be transacted so that you don't have too much discouragement. So I think better than setting sort of a hard and fast goal because we are so good at it and we're so good at delaying gratification is almost to do an experiment. Mm. So for instance, there was one that I heard recently it was sort of like, could you get 30 days of nature for 30 minutes every day? 30 days in a row, 30 minutes. It's actually really tough. Mm -hmm. And after about, oh, I'd say four days, I felt at first like I had failed because on that fourth day, I, I was just not outside. But then I flipped it to how many days out of 30 could I get my 30 minutes of nature, a walk, a, a run, you know, something outside. And it could be with your children or it could be with a patient even. And once I flipped it to how many days, then I got, you know, let's say 18, 19 days out of the 30 uh, that was just a, a sort of information. Now, the competitive doctor inside of me the next month said, I could do better than that. <laughs> but at least I was, you know, I was able to sort of begin to sort of observe, just like Les asked you, just, you didn't, you didn't tell her to do anything, just observe how you mm -hmm. feel differently. So I would say, you know, sort of mark down, you know, are you, mm -hmm. if, if that sings to you, like what, what behavior you're trying to change, how many days out of the next 30 will you get it? Mm -hmm. mark it down or record it or your Fitbit can tell you a lot of this information and then reflect on it. And if you want to do better, sure, we, we can drive ourselves. So I'm, I'm hearing there's a balance made between accountability so that something new happens with some certainty and scale or you know, commensurate with the real opportunity and not to make oneself accountable for what one can't deliver. Well, there's also uh, something that you have to give up right away, which is the all or nothing phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's the perfectionistic yes. piece. Like either I'm going to get mm -hmm. my 150 minutes in and my weightlifting and give up the <laughs> cigarettes and, you know, yada, yada, or nothing. And actually, one of the great things about lifestyle medicine is that incremental change is beneficial. Mm -hmm. So the extra 100 steps actually does make a difference. 200 steps is better, mm -hmm. but the 100 steps makes a difference. In lifestyle, a small change does make a difference. And that then leads to a change in your self-efficacy because you say, oh, all right, why, well, I just, I took a 10 minute walk at lunch. Somehow I managed. Somehow I took that call at lunch, at least I was moving and I'm feeling better and maybe I'll do that again. Maybe it'll turn into 12 minutes, but give yourself a break. Right. 
you know, that, that, that's part of it. You don't have to be perfect. What's interesting also is that as much as I uh, will stand up in front of audiences promoting this, and I've always been somewhat physically healthy and active, if we get a new doctor, someone who's new to this and makes a change, they will not shut up. <laughs> and, 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 and the, you know, the sort of the religion right. that, that you feel and the change and the patients notice. I see. And then another thing that happens, I could tell you, is that they notice and they sort of promote it. Yeah. Meaning that, you know, they'll say, oh, so, you know, last time you mentioned so-and-so that you started a, a new program. They'll, they'll ask you, they'll hold you accountable. So the table is switched because that's the relationship you're in with them. You're going to have your patients hopefully forever. So, Eddie, without going back to school, because we've all had enough schooling and training, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, we're always learning. That's, mm -hmm. that's the nature of medicine, and that's why a lot of us went into it, at least I did. I, you know, I find learning new things scintillating and challenging, but without having to go back and do a crash course in lifestyle medicine, how do I learn about these practical tips that you're talking about or the science behind it or the research behind it in order to implement it into my own life and to share it with patients? So there are growing organizations that promote everything that we're talking about. Uh, an American College of Lifestyle Medicine, mm -hmm. we run an institute, and there's now a board exam, and there are things you can listen to online. There are podcasts, there's material. You need to get your CME credit anyway. Fair. So Yeah, so <laughs> you know, I would say you may be interested enough to, to come and participate, and I'll be careful to say not just listen, because it's, this is a participatory field. Yeah. Um, and you may actually end up getting some training as a coach because of the interest that you're expressing. And you're going to try it on your patients and see how it works on yourself. It also works on kids. Um, so you may uh, at some point be interested. And, and people I've seen, their practices evolve. I have another question for you, Marie. Do you get enough sleep? Uh, now, that's a good question. I really try. Um, and that is something, again, not to be hypocritical, but we have to practice what we preach. If I go into clinic looking like a zombie because I got just a few hours of sleep, certainly my patients will see that. Now how is another question. Eddie, do you talk to patients about sleep hygiene? Oh, absolutely. So that's something I'm much more comfortable with. And what's interesting, even in the world of sleep to begin with, and, and back to the question or the comment about incremental change makes yeah. a difference, even 15 minutes of extra sleep, either at the beginning of the night or if you can afford it in the morning, can make a difference to how you feel. Right. Um, and actually being cognizant that sleep is that important. And I love this sleep hygiene tip of setting an alarm to go to sleep. Ah. I had not thought about that before. And, and, and then to begin the sort of the, the letdown process, meaning yeah. just sort of like the computers go off an hour before. Right. Do, you, do you know what my cue is? I have a natural please. cue, which is that I pass out on the floor with my kids <laughs> because <laughs> after a long day of clinic, we go home, we play with them. And sometimes I literally just pass out on the floor and the next thing I know, I feel my baby you know, touching my face, you know, touching my belly, and, and that's my cue that I need to go to sleep. That works for now. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully you can get them into bed. <laughs> but the, um, you know, obviously, so it sounds like you're a little sleep deprived if you're collapsing with them, but. So is that just the part of being a practicing physician who's also a parent, who's also a spouse, who's also, you know, 
and the list goes on mm -hmm. for all of us, isn't it? It, it? it could be. Yeah. It could be. But, but attending to sleep in, a, in an environment that is restful, where you're not being confronted by not having your electronics in, in the room. Oh, yeah, I don't. Um, you're ahead of the curve there. <laughs> that I do practice, and I tell my patients that, too. Uh, Less so you were going to say? Yeah, I had another question for you, and maybe ask Eddie for his advice. So we found three areas where you could improve. More exercise, healthier food choices, more sleep. And for many physicians, the list expands from there uh, in terms of other health issues that must be taken care of, emotional issues that must be taken mm. care of, and so forth. As we know, they're rampant in this era of physician burnout. So the question is, how would you choose where to start? Among, if you have multiple goals, how would you choose where to start? So it's kind of like the question, don't start too big with a lofty goal that's hard to do. How do you get focus among the many areas that you could address? Perhaps that's my homework, is to think through these things. I appreciate, Eddie, your encouragement that the incremental changes do make a difference. I actually wrote that down because we, you know, physicians as a group, not to generalize, but here I go, is that we all are, are such all or nothing folks. You know, if I can't achieve 120%, then I'm not gonna do it at all. Um, so I'm gonna think about that. I like the idea of maybe even taking a lunch break. It's quite novel to me. It seems almost ludicrous that <laughs> it would be a novel idea, but I might start there less. Okay, sounds like a great idea. And Eddie, I just wondered if people come in with a multiplicity of goals, how you help them select where to begin? I think just as you did, to find out sort of, mm -hmm. very often it's a little counterintuitive, it's actually what the goal that you're closest to being able to achieve. Yes. Uh, in other words, it may not be, you may be smoking two packs a day of cigarettes and I'm just screaming, you gotta get off of them. But if you're closest to going to bed 15 minutes earlier right. or taking a 10 minute lunch break, let's start there and then honor and help you recognize this improved self-efficacy that you'll feel by achieving that small goal. And as a physician, if you were to push her less and we said you take lunch twice a week, you're very likely to come back to less next episode and say, I exceeded that. <laughs> I'm at three days a week now. And, but it, so in answer to your question, actually going after what you're closest to achieving may be the best place to start. So if it's a 10 minute lunch, let's start there. And Eddie, you know, it's, I feel that it's such a privilege. I get to have this individual time to learn from you. How do we implement this into our practice culture, into our clinics, into the way that we as physicians think in general. So that takes the transformation of, <laughs> of the system, but uh, medical care systems are waking up to the idea as the reimbursement, like we're, that's gonna be an old phrase, as we get paid differently, we're gonna get paid based upon the health outcomes of our patients. And there are lots of doctors who I've met with who say, that's great, except I was not trained in how to improve right. my patient's health behaviors. Right. Like once again, it was not in my medical school <laughs> <laughs> brochure or curriculum. So you set the example. You're the champion in your group. And then you reach out. And it's one of those wonderful things, once you set your, intent, your intention, other people will come to you. And they'll be wanting to sort of 
go along the same path that you're on. And I could tell you many stories of individual docs who started a, a change in their personal and professional lives that then propagated to other people in their group. Someone's going to want to take that 10-minute lunchtime walk with you. And then it, it, it can like, sort of light up the, the, the secular changes in the larger medical system are supportive, finally. Yeah, Eddie, I think you might just make a believer out of me. <laughs> Good. Well, let me just uh, add a couple things. One, I love that term, light up, because that's the opposite of burnout. So uh -huh. we, yes. do, we do <laughs> like the notion of helping docs as well as our patients come out of a morass of self-neglect and into some self-care. And Maria, I noticed that the notion of you taking care of yourself, taking this lunch break, that kind of pleased you. You were happy when you said it. Um, and that it's, uh, as Eddie's, it's a paradigm of self-efficacy and that makes us feel good. And that's really what this med pep, it's about empowerment, it is about self-efficacy. And here today we've explored this domain of taking care of oneself physically. We've learned that, yes, doctors should take care of themselves, that they have to learn to do the dance with themselves rather than wrestle with themselves and say, this is worthy, that it's okay that I'm patient number one. We've learned to start with something attainable and scalable that they can choose for themselves and perhaps have a buddy to have some accountability to, to report in how's it going. And Marita, your concern about advocacy, I think we will get to other ways in which insights like this can be advocated in subsequent sessions of our MedPEP series. But I do believe that success will breed success for you. <laughs> well, let me ask if there's something we can do between now and the next time, which is to try what you've suggested, taking that lunch break. And as Eddie suggested, we're not gonna quantify it. You're going to see what's possible. And when we meet again, we'll find out how it went. And it is does not have to even go well because we'll learn from your intention and if there were other kinds of obstacles that we also need to attend to that got in the way of doing it. So one, hopefully you'll have some success and can feel the physical benefit of it, but we're gonna learn from it anyway. We'll do, Les. Okay, very good. So let me thank Dr. Eddie Phillips and as always, my colleague, Dr. Marie Curious for our conversation today. Next episode, we're going to be hearing from, from Margaret Moore, a.k.a. Coach Meg, who will talk with us about how taking care of oneself is not being selfish. Thank you so much, Les, for being my guide. And I hope our work together today with Dr. Eddie Phillips, thank you again. My pleasure. And I look forward to hearing about your success. I really think that what you've taught me today will help me stay passionate about medicine or regain some of that passion. Uh, and about my life outside of medicine while hopefully helping others along the way. Great. Thank you. If you have a question or a comment about today's program, email us at feedback at medpep.org or simply visit us at medpep.org. And now, here's a few words from MedPEP's founder, Steve Edelman. This is Dr. Steve Edelman, creator of MedPEP, the Medical Professionals Empowerment Program, and director of PHS, Physician Health Services, a charitable subsidiary of the Massachusetts Medical Society. 
Our mission is to promote the well-being of health professionals. Many thanks to our seeker, Dr. Marie Curious, to our guide, Dr. Les Schwab, and to our wonderful group of guest experts. Hats off to project leader, Dr. J. Dev Dasgupta, audio producer, Douglas Stevens, guitardiologist, Dr. Susie Brown, and to the staff and board of PHS. Please visit and connect with us at medpep.org for CME info, faculty bios, and additional empowerment resources.